0: Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us.
1: Welcome back. My name is Trent Malachik.
0: I'm Dana Zook.
2: And Josh Bashong,
1: Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about how things change as we go into the summertime in agriculture and in extension. Our programming ideas change and kind of the things that we have to talk about in, in regards to what farmers need is always a moving target. And the summertime offers unique challenges in Oklahoma. It can be really hot. It can be really dry. But in the past few years, we've seen a little bit of differences in both of those where we've had some intense rainfall, even last year, that kind of changed the way we had to do programming and some of the concerns that our producers had. One of the interesting things I think we wanted to talk about today would be how warmer temperatures affect cattle handling and and vaccine handling and things like that. So Dana, you wanna go into that topic a little bit?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, like Trent said, each of our respective areas have kind of a, a seasonality to them. So this time of year, um, I like to think about this is when uh, producers start branding or they work cattle before they take them out to pasture. A lot of things happen dealing with vaccinations, um, maybe treatment of calves, that sort of thing this time of year. With the warmer temperatures, we see um, some concerns with that. So if you're using a biological product, so when I say that, that's a vaccine, Um we like to make sure that the vaccine is is stable while we're working calves. Um, I know a lot of people work calves out in the pasture. Maybe they have a chute that can be moved around. And so how do we keep those vaccines cold to the appropriate temperature during that time? Um, we need to keep in mind um, that that's an important aspect of it. Um, Vaccines are very expensive. I know we've talked many times in our office over the years how expensive fly control is. Um, vaccines probably um, are on the top of the list of the expenses. You know, it's expensive to have those chemicals, and so we need to store them properly. So, um We need to be storing biological products, any type of vaccine, whether you talk about a live vaccine, a modified live vaccine or killed vaccine, 35 to 45 degrees Fahrenheit. That is in your refrigerator. That is in your uh, cooler out in the pasture as you're working calves. It's really important to keep them that cold to maintain their viability, maintain their efficacy. Um, Syringes. Syringes. we need to keep that vaccine cold while it's in the syringe so a lot of people use a continuous flow um, for treatments or vaccinations and so that continuous flow syringe while it is very convenient you need to maintain that cold temperature in that It can be very difficult and those vaccines need to stay out of the sunlight those vaccines are damaged by sunlight and so in that clear tube of that continuous flow syringe it can really damage the efficacy of that vaccine Trent, I know you um, have told me that you're interested in some of our uh, the things we have to help maintain the uh, vaccine temperatures. The cooler that we have um, here in my office, we've put together some of these. They're a shoot-side vaccine cooler. They can be used for maintaining the temperature on vaccines. And so we have a fact sheet available, um, ANSI 3300 on our uh, extension fact sheet website that tells you how to put one of these together. It's simply $25. I know Trent, you saw some vaccine coolers that are uh, a little bit more expensive than that at the store recently.
1: Well, it's like anything that makes life easier. You can pay about as much as you want to find a convenient option. Uh, Yeah, they're nice. And some of the One's provided by your local hardware store or feed store. They do the same job as this one does, but this is a good option for our producers. They want a low cost and they just want to try it out. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something earlier. I'm sorry to stop you, but kind of go back a little bit. You talked about the vaccines and sunlight. It's not just temperature, right? It's their UV rays mm-hmm. can also damage that as well.
0: Yeah, temperature sunlight uv rays that's why the vaccine comes in a brown glass bottle most of the time or it comes kind of in a uh, dual-sided bottle to help maintain you know that cold dark environment and so yeah if you just even if it's cold if, if it is 35 degrees outside it's and you have it in the sunlight that vaccine can be damaged um so that's that's very important um So there's a lot of things that go along with um, the maintaining, maintaining the temperature, appropriate temperature is most important. And that's what I was gonna talk about today. Just, you know, it's warm outside. We need to hurry up and go get those calves worked, but make sure that you have the correct tools with you to keep that vaccine um, safe from sunlight and temperature. Um, I'd say the same thing if it was cold outside, you know, make sure it's not freezing. You know, as you're hurrying up to get out to the pasture to work those calves on Memorial Day weekend or Fourth of July weekend or whatever you plan to do, make sure that you're thinking about keeping those vaccines um, safe from sunlight and hot temperatures.
1: So these vaccine coolers, is ice ice packs enough or would dry ice be a good option to keep in those coolers? What do you recommend for some of our producers that are out a long ways from home and maybe out for a long time
0: yeah so i think uh probably an ice pack would be the best i know a lot of us have those around ice pack probably it you know it's gonna not gonna drip you are not gonna have the water with it so keeping your keeping your cooler cool to start starting with a cool cooler um, putting an ice pack um, in that that's probably the best i mean dry ice is okay you need to make sure it doesn't get too cold in that cooler you don't want to freeze anything and so you know there's a fine line and so you really need to maybe put your put a, your little thermometer in there and make sure that you're kind of keeping it cool um, doing some of those things um, to maintain the safety of that vaccine
1: very good well kind of going away from the summer heat i know we we're talking about how summer heat affects things uh, as we come into summer in oklahoma our harvest period or our big big harvest time is in june some People from farther north like Dana and Nebraska mm-hmm. tend to think of harvest as a fall time affair. But as we get closer to harvest here with our wheat crop, back, you know, last month in April, we saw a few freezes. And we were kind of wondering how that was going to affect our crop. And, you know, we had some decent damage from freeze down in southern Oklahoma. I think Josh down kind of south central and southern Oklahoma we knew that we were going to have some more significant freeze damage but i started to hear some reports of it moving farther north can you talk to us a little bit about what you've seen and what producers need to be looking for that might be different than what we've seen in the past few years
2: Uh, just like any spring freeze uh, it's going to play differently on that wheat crop as we've always seen it's always going to be field by field dependent so it's not just because your neighbor has or doesn't have freeze damage your field does as well or even all your fields so you really have to get out and scout your fields and see how much damage we actually experienced Uh, my looking around i've seen you know maybe very minimal most five ten percent prior yield loss but there are some fields out there where it might be 30 40 percent or higher Uh, just driving by that week might look great it still has a green head to it but you get out there and really start dissecting that head See how many seeds you have so typically on those spikelets some guys call the mesh we might get two three maybe four or five seeds per spikelet but this year at uh, most i'm seeing about two uh, rare cases i'm seeing a little bit more but so not only that but that wheat head the first ones to mature this center height on that wheat head and the bottom and the top are later maturing so also look at those so depending on how late you were in development when those freezes occurred You might have fewer berries down low or fewer on top. Uh, But just overall, there's what I'm seeing, there's fewer seeds in that head than what people thought. So driving by, it might look like that 50, 60 bushels, but getting out there and look because uh, there's a lot of components that go into estimating crop yield on wheat. Uh, Obviously, how many heads you have per square foot, how many seeds per head on the weight of the seed, how many seeds per pound. All those go into factor in how much yield you have. So, if you think maybe typically we might have 20 to 30 seeds in the head, if we have 15 to 20, uh, that's going to be cutting our yield pretty significantly.
1: Yeah, because in the past typically we've always told producers, well, a few days after the freeze event, if you smell a silagey type smell or something like that, we we know that we've had some damage. We've also said that you know if heads won't emerge, we know that we've had some head or freeze damage, or if parts of the head are white, we might have freeze damage. But we haven't seen a lot of that this year in our some of our freeze damage weed. It's been perfectly normal looking wheat that just hasn't actually pollinated or or started to grain fill. So it's very deceiving this year. And Something
2: that's, that's what the main issue is is that if we damage those anthers, we're not going to get pollination and the berry's not going to form. So. I've even seen some cases this year, looking at those heads, the anthers never even came out of the glooms. They were trapped inside. It still seems like the berries are forming just fine, but we don't know if we're going to end up with more shriveled seed or uh, lighter test weight uh, or what kind of protein we might be looking at. So typically with those shriveled seeds, uh, we usually have an increase in protein just because it's a percent concentration. You can only have so much starch versus so much protein. So if you have a, a lighter of grain then you're going to have a higher protein percentage so we might see some protein premiums out there this year as well unless everyone has high protein
1: yeah in a previous episode titled wheat hay we talked about you know the quality of wheat hay and, and getting it harvested in a timely fashion if I'm a producer and I have really good looking wheat and I go out there and it's not filling is that still an option for me to, to cut that as hay do you think it would have quality there even even if it's getting more mature?
2: Uh, The biggest thing we have in our advantage this year is we've been fairly light on diseases. Uh, We do have some leaf spotters out there like tan spot and septoria and stagernosa but uh, there is some rust out there so we might be starting to lose some of those leaves but if we still have that flag leaf still in healthy condition maybe a leaf or two underneath it there's still some forage quality to it obviously it's not going to be a premium forage but uh, it still is an option for some guys, especially as we get northern into the region closer to Kansas. That hang still might be an option for some.
1: Yeah, and we'd like to remind producers that if you think you've had freeze damage, you can always contact your local office to have a county educator come out and kind of look at your field with you if, if that's something that they feel comfortable with. And if you're having trouble finding someone that can come out, uh, you know, things are a little bit different right now with COVID, and, and we're a little mm-hmm. bit staffing, it can become a struggle for some of our county offices. You can also, if you have crop insurance, always remember that you can call an adjuster and have that adjusted at any time. And then give you an idea of, of what type of a yield you're looking at and whether or not that that would be something you need to think about haying. And if you're going to hay acres also remember that you need to have that adjusted for crop insurance before you, you hay an entire farm, they need to know what the potential yield would have been on that.
2: I know I've had that discussion with many farmers. A lot of times when we get those crop adjusters out, the farmers are looking for that yul, that low yield estimate uh, to kind of more or less say that's it been zeroed out before they destroy it. But in hindsight, uh, you might want a higher yield. I mean, even if they gave you a 40 bushel yield, you can still destroy it if you want. And that 40 bushel will go on your yield appraisal, uh, so that might help you in the future years, keep your premiums low uh, and so forth. So, Yeah, that's something
1: that we've been trying to look longer term when it comes to some of these decisions we've been making. And like you said, uh, that yield history is very vital. If you have a decent yield history right now because you've been raising good crops, zeroing it out, it just puts a zero there in that calculation and it's going to bring down that average. Now, of course, you buy insurance for whenever you have a disaster and you need it, so you want to use that. But also, it's kind of important to remember that if you're going to take this crop to hay, there's some value in that hay crop. So you're going to receive some kind of an indemnity from your crop insurance if you have loss and you're going to be able to market that hay crop. So it's always important to kind of in my mind to, to know exactly what's out there and and that'll help you in future years if we if we continue to have losses we don't want to just knock that yield all the way back but that's just part of keeping good production records and everything uh, as we move forward with our crop insurance you know remember also that as we get closer to harvest if you have grains stored in bins or things like that that they need to be measured before you dump new grain on them So some other kind of housekeeping things that producers need to think about and and contact your crop insurance agent if you have questions about that. But yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. It used to be, we always had to haul, it seems like we had to haul every load to town and get a scale ticket and for that crop, but there's also producers that just store on farm when we talk about grain bins or grain carts that have the scales on them and things like that, that is an appropriate method of keeping track of some of those records as long as they're calibrated. So a lot of different options out there.
2: Yeah, I always need to go talk to your, your insurance agent, uh, cause there are some things even across counties, uh, put it in the same bin or across different farm numbers, uh, there's some other things you need to take into account as well. As if you are taking out this wheat crop, what kind of double crop options you might have, and that's kind of county specific as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I was working through and ever, because I had some ground that I had planted to wheat that ended up haying off. So we had it adjusted and then and those numbers came back and we have it harvested now for hay. And the crop insurance agent was interested to know if I wanted to plant a double crop on there because my history for double crop soybeans wasn't long enough. So I was going to have to take a 35% indemnity uh, cut for out of my out of the insurance on my hay in order to go ahead and do double crop soybeans. So I decided to go a different route when it comes to that, but it's kind of interesting to work through those different problems and, and your future plans make a difference. So you kind of have to have an idea whenever you talk to your crop insurance agent about what your future plans are going to be in order to kind of plan with them on what your products are going to be. Yeah. Now, and also thinking about crop insurance a little bit, uh, for multi-peril crop insurance, you have 15 days from harvesting your farmer unit to report a loss, and for crop hail, you have 10 days from each storm date to make a notification of loss. So, again, timeliness is always important. Sometimes, when bad things happen, we see people kind of retreat into a shell, and and we uh, for multiple. Uh, natural disasters that we've kind of worked through with extension that's kind of seems to be a reaction from some producers as they kind of retreat back and into what's comfortable but it's important to go out and document those losses and to be in contact with those uh, individuals that can help you whether that's fsa or crop insurance so that they know what your losses are and what's going on on your farm because waiting a month after you have a loss and then reporting it you may not be eligible to get some of that payment so that's always important we try to make sure you're contacting people. And if you have questions, again, contact us, contact your local county extension agent. Well, that's gearing up for summer in a nutshell. Uh, You know, this freeze damaged weed is going to be something we just have to keep watching. And Josh, did there any final thoughts that you have for your producers that you would like them to think about?
2: Like I said, get out and check your fields. I know in years past, I've even had reports of guys get a custom harvester in, they go out and take it around, I think they left the trap doors open or something, and there's just not any grain out there. So if it's just as simple as getting out there, rubbing your fingers through those heads, see if you can feel those kernels start to develop, or if it's just a completely blank head, we definitely don't want to be surprised later. We want to find out as soon as possible to figure out what we can and can't do with that crop.
1: I have a feeling a custom cutter wouldn't be extremely happy with you if he showed up and there wasn't anything to cut and you booked yeah. in a bunch of acres. So yeah, that would definitely be important. Well, Dana, times the vaccine handling and warmer temperatures with cattle. And any other last thoughts?
0: No, oh, uh, it's always easier to work cattle when it's cooler. Remember that. Um, we didn't talk about you know the the stress on livestock, but um, that's always important. Um, have a plan before you go out there.
1: That probably Do- increases vaccine efficacy as well. If the cattle are cool and the vaccine's cool, mm-hmm. you're gonna have better luck.
0: Yep, less stress overall. Will make everything work a lot better. So have a have a plan. Take a few breaths before we uh, run out there and start working calves, um, and, and that'll make it much more successful um, overall.
1: All righty. Well, thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next time.
0: We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again and we'll talk to you soon.